Today, we discuss the real rigging of the election, the media sacrificing its credibility to attack Donald Trump, whether the woke will rule the roost if Joe Biden takes office, and COVID doesn't care about your politics. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Surf the web with peace of mind. Sign up now at expressvpn.com. Slash ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, let me remind you that if you are a responsible human being, you should stop whatever you're doing right now and get some life insurance. If you have dependents, people who depend on you for your income, it's going to be bad enough if God forbid something happens to you. But then if they have to bear the expense of you no longer being able to provide, that's going to be even worse. You need life insurance. But how the hell are you going to get life insurance? Well, where do you even shop for it? Ah, I'm glad you asked. The answer is policygenius.com. Policygenius makes it really easy. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The best part, they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google, which is a pretty high rating. So if you need life insurance, and if you're a responsible person, you do. Head on over to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice and very, very important to get it right. Okay, so the media narrative, the Democratic narrative continues apace until the moment Donald Trump declares that Joe Biden is president-elect of the United States. We are on the precipice. On the precipice of disaster. Of doom! Millions will die. I know. We were all killed by climate change. And I know that we were all killed also by net neutrality. Uh, we, we were killed by pretty much everything that Trump ever did. But the good news is that, like a cat, we have nine lives. And we're back, only to be killed again by President Trump's failure to say that Joe Biden is president-elect yet, even though not a single state has yet certified his vote, and also none of the electors have actually voted. Now, I've heard some rumors today about Republicans talking about Republican state legislators just certifying slates of electors who are Republican and would vote for Trump. Okay, you can't do that in contravention to whatever evidence there is available if you're in Michigan and Biden ends up winning the actual vote count by 140,000 and you have some sporadic claims or even many claims of individual voter fraud, that is not enough to overcome the presumption of proof that is required for 140,000 vote lead in Michigan for Biden to be overturned by another slate of electors. So how about we don't talk about silly things that is not going to happen and virtually no one is calling for that to happen because, of course, that would be on the verge of breaking democracy. Now, we'll point out here. There were Democrats who called for that with Hillary Clinton in 2016, right? So it is not unprecedented for people to say it, but it's dumb no matter who is saying it. Okay, with that said, the willingness of the media and Democrats to go along with the narrative that we are on the precipice. As I said yesterday, this has very little to do with reality and very much to do with the entire narrative the media have set up for themselves. So the media decided and the Democrats decided that they had to take down Donald Trump at any cost. And that meant bending, breaking the rules. It meant politicizing the intelligence agencies. It meant turning journalistic outlets into open activist outlets. It meant reporting rumors instead of facts. It meant drawing narrative conclusions from insufficient facts. All of that was justified because, of course, Donald Trump was not just orange man bad. He was incipient Hitler. Well, now, as it turns out, Donald Trump may have lost the 2020 election. If he is found to have lost the election, if the electors vote and he is no longer president, he will leave peacefully. If you think that Donald Trump is going to stick around and get violent or something, He's going to thrash and you're going to drag him out in handcuffs. That's leftist fantasy thinking. It is not going to happen. But here's the thing. The left requires the fantasy because if it turns out that Donald Trump 
was, you know, he bloviated a lot and he did a lot of unconventional things as president, but he really didn't threaten the system and he's not really threatening the system now. It turns out that all of the sacrifices they made to their own credibility, all of their institutional collapse in pursuit of Donald Trump was not justified. It turns out that they sacrificed themselves on the altar of Donald Trump for nothing because it turns out he was never the kind of threat they determined him to be. And they can't have that. So they're just going to continue to portray him as that kind of a threat. Right? There's a, a famous scene in, in A Man for All Seasons. I've quoted this before, but it is really one of my favorite scenes in, in all of theater uh, and all of movies. It's a great film. Everybody should watch it. Uh, in which it's about Sir Thomas More and uh, Henry VIII. And Sir Thomas More, of course, refuses to acknowledge that Henry VIII has the capacity to divorce, to divorce his wife in order to marry Anne Boleyn. And there's a, a scene where Sir Thomas More is talking to his son-in-law, Roper, about Sir Richard Rich, who's this guy who used to work for Sir Thomas More and now is going to testify against More that More actually doesn't believe that the divorce is okay and that the new marriage is okay and this will get More executed. So Richard Rich comes and he threatens Thomas More and Roper turns to Thomas More and he says, you should arrest that man. And Thomas More says, there's no law. He hasn't broken any law. I can't arrest him. And and his son-in-law says, well, he's going to get you killed. You need to arrest him. And Sir Thomas More says, so you're saying that we should just carve down the law in order to go after the devil. And Roper says, yes, I'd carve down every law in England to go after the devil. And Sir Thomas More says, okay, and then when the devil turns around on you and all the laws are gone, where are you going to hide? The forest all being flat. The idea being when you get rid of the law, when you decimate the institutions, when you turn the institutions into nothing in pursuit of something bad, what happens when those institutions no longer provide a bulwark or a framework against something truly bad? Right? What if Donald Trump is not Orange Hitler? He's just a guy they don't like. And now all of those institutions have, have collapsed. And what if something really bad does happen? All the institutions have lost all of their institutional credibility. So the left can't acknowledge that possibility. So they have to keep maintaining that they are always in pursuit of the devil. And if this devil goes away, if Donald Trump goes away, they will find a new devil in order to justify their constant disregard and undermining of their own institutions. Right? That, this, is, this is what's happening right now. Okay, so hence the outsized outrage at Donald Trump, not just coming out and saying that Joe Biden is president-elect, despite the fact that fact check, guys, he's not the president-elect. Okay, just because media outlets project somebody as president-elect, he's the expected president-elect. You could say that. I mean, that's fair. He's not the actual president-elect of the United States until a single state certifies its vote, legally speaking. And I've been informed by all the various best fact checkers that we are supposed to be as technical and factual as possible in our claims. So let's just point out, he's not actually president-elect of anything yet. He will be president-elect if the vote counts hold, if the lawsuits don't overturn those vote counts. Okay, so Donald Trump is not, in fact, orange Hitler for not calling him president-elect Joe Biden or for not starting the transition right away. But the left is fully invested in this narrative that Donald Trump is Hitler because this justifies them doing whatever they can in order to stop Donald Trump. It justifies them doing whatever they can to undermine institutional credibility of the media, of government. And they're doing it full scale. Okay, so here's a great example. Jim Clyburn. Right. Well-respected Democrat, probably one of the leading forces behind Joe Biden being president. If it had not been for Jim Clyburn stumping for support for Joe Biden in South Carolina, very good shot that Bernie Sanders might have been the nominee inside the Democratic Party. So Jim Clyburn was talking yesterday on CNN about the about the unwillingness of Donald Trump to declare Joe Biden the president-elect. And this is pure, ridiculous hysteria. He compares Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. Now, quick rule of thumb. Most of the things that you don't like have nothing to do with Hitler. Things can be things that are bad and also have nothing to do with Hitler. In fact, nearly everything in your entire life that you don't like will not be Hitler. It turns out that Hitler is basically Hitler and not tons of other Hitlers out there, thank God. But here is Jim Clyburn comparing Donald Trump to Hitler for not 
rec for, for not recognizing that Joe Biden is president-elect of the United States. There, there are many historical problems with this particular narrative. Uh, it, one, one of them is that Adolf Hitler actually was elected in November of 1932 to head the largest party in the Reichstag. And then he was asked by the, by the president of Germany, by, by Hindenburg, who was the acting head of state to form a coalition government. And then Hitler took power and then liquidated all of his enemies. It turns out Donald Trump hasn't done any of those things. But Jim Clyburn compares him to Hitler anyway, because if you call somebody Hitler, that means that you can do whatever the hell you want and lie as much as you want. I'm beginning to see what happened in Germany back in the 1930s. Yeah, I, I never thought that could happen in this country. Uh, how do you elect a person president, then all of a sudden uh, give him the authority to be dictator? That's what we are teetering on here. Uh, that's what Hitler did in Germany. He was elected chancellor, and then because he uh, successfully discredited the news media, took over the churches. What now? Yeah. Uh, this is not anything like what Hitler did in Germany. Like zero, zero things are, are currently held in common. <laughs> I'm sorry, nobody was talking about, hey, Hitler, you lost an election. Would you like a $100 million book deal? And then Hitler was like, oh, okay. N no, no, that, that's not what happened. When everything is Hitler, nothing is Hitler. And by the way, this is deeply, deeply disgusting on virtually every level. I, as a member of the Jewish community, I know many people who have tattoos of numbers in their flesh thanks to Hitler. Comparing Donald Trump to Hitler because he won't say that old doddering Joe Biden isn't president-elect yet? Spare me. It's just self-justificatory nonsense. He'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you've seen all these stories in the news, right? A story where there's a bad guy and he involves himself in a home invasion or he threatens somebody's life, somebody's life and a good guy has to shoot him. And then the good guy ends up being arrested and now has to face the legal process. Well, here's the thing. If you own a gun, it's not just enough to own a gun. One, you need to know how to use it. And two, you need to know your legal rights and have the resources to defend yourself in case, God forbid, you actually have to use a firearm to defend yourself. And this is where the USCCA comes in. Here's how you can take a simple, powerful journey to firearms and self-defense confidence. It's called the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the United States Concealed Carry Association. It is 100% free. You'll learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun even if you've got little kids, and a whole lot more. It's 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. Just text Ben to 87222 to get started. You want to protect your family? If you're a law-abiding citizen, you should have a gun and you should know how to use it. This is where the USCCA comes in. You'll get instant access to that complete concealed carry and family defense guide from the USCCA, 100% free. When you text Ben to 87222 and you get a chance to win a thousand bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family, text Ben to 87222 right now. Okay, so it's not just Jim Clyburn who is uh, ramping up the hysteria. It's CNN, of course. So CNN's Jim Shudo. He says, this could put us at risk for another 9-11 if Donald Trump doesn't start the transition process immediately. Hey, let's be very clear about this. 9-11 didn't happen because the transition was slow in 2000. I know that this is one of the talking points of the 9-11 Commission. The evidence on that is extraordinarily scanty. 9-11 happened for a variety of reasons. The fact the transition was kind of slow, meaning it carried on for 37 days in court before Al Gore conceded the election. That's not why 9-11 happened. Okay, there were institutional barriers that would not been alleviated if the transition had happened faster. Bill Clinton let Al-Qaeda basically run roughshod and fired a couple of, of missiles at camel butts in the middle of nowhere in order to retaliate for the USS Cole. Now, there, there are a lot of reasons why 9-11 happened, slow transition, is, but, but now we're, we're now grasping at straws. So the reason that it's super, we're like trying to figure out why it's super bad. And the media start with a, a proposition. The proposition is it's super bad what Trump is doing. Then they have to sort of backfill why it's super bad 
what Trump is doing. They can't say that it's illegal because it's not illegal. They can't really say it's a threat to democracy because it's not a threat to democracy. The process is moving forward. And if Donald Trump is not president-elect in December, when all the states certify their votes, when the electors vote, then he will leave. Right? Everybody acknowledges this, including members of the Trump administration, including the much ballyhooed Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State. Like, everybody knows this. And all of this is pretend. All of this is pretend. So they have to backfill. So they say, oh, well, you know, if the transition doesn't happen fast enough, well, then that means that there might be another 9-11. Okay, let's be real about this again. Joe Biden is not going to formally take office, even if he is president-elect until January 20th. Joe Biden himself has said he is not worried about the transition process. But the media have to spin this thing up because it justifies all the things they've been doing for the past several years to get Trump. Okay, here's Jim Shudo suggesting 9-11's on the horizon if Donald Trump doesn't immediately declare Joe Biden president-elect or some such. The 9-11 Commission report specifically cited the shortened transition after the 2000 election for having an impact on national security. I'm quoting here, it hampered the new administration in identifying, recruiting, clear, clearing, and obtaining Senate confirmation of key appointees. The, the fact is, we have experience for how shortened transitions make a difference in national security. Why, why are we hearing from Republicans uh, about that? granting that potential danger? I'm sorry. This is the, 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 the ramped up hysteria. It's because the media are invested and they can't get uninvested. Okay. Meanwhile, the process continues to move forward. Georgia yesterday announced they would do a full hand recount of, the, of, of all the votes. Now, the Secretary of State of Georgia, who's now, I will say it's hilarious, that Brian Kemp, right, who was the Secretary of State of Georgia when the uh, Stacey Abrams race happened, he was accused of voter suppression and all of this. Now Democrats are like, the Georgia system of voting, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. Everything is good in Georgia. Okay, I, I tend to agree. I don't see tons of evidence that there's huge swaths of voter fraud or that a recount is going to change the results in Georgia. I just don't see the evidence of that presented to the extent that would be necessary to overturn a 12,000 vote gap in Georgia. But Georgia yesterday announced a full hand recount. So the process is moving forward, guys, and there will be an outcome. So cool your jets for five sec. We'll then move to the risk-limiting audit, or RLA. At 1 p.m. today, I will make the official designation of which race will be the subject of the RLA. At that time, I will designate that the RLA will be the presidential race. With the margin being so close, it will require a full by-hand recount in each county. This will help build confidence. It will be an audit, a recount, and a re-canvas all at once. Okay, so first of all, for Trump to win, he would have to then win the recount. Then he would have to overturn the result in Arizona. Then he would have to overturn the result in Pennsylvania, right? All of those things would be necessary in order for Trump to win. So there is a very heavy burden here, but the process, again, is moving forward. Georgia's Secretary of State says, listen, I have a job to do. My integrity matters, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to simply allow voter fraud to, to be the thing in Georgia. Are you worried, Mr. Secretary, you could be next if you say something that the president doesn't like? He doesn't like the fact that the people of Georgia have spoken and he's losing right now by more than 14,000 votes. I have my job to do and I'll follow it faithfully. I think that integrity still matters. Okay, so here's the bottom line. The process will move forward. The states will certify their votes. There are allegations out there. Kayleigh McEnany has put out allegations in Michigan of a wide variety of efforts to affect the election, voter fraud, voter irregularities in a country of 150 million people. You would assume that in any process involving that many people, 150 million voters, 
You would assume that there was, there was some voter fraud and voter irregularity. The question is, does it meet the legal burden of overturning an election? The answer is probably no, but that's why we have a process and that's why it's going to be carried forward. And no, this is not Hitler. And yes, there is a legal process and everybody calm down. But this goes to a deeper and broader point. Okay, while everybody in the world, on the right particularly, is worried about the, the rigging, uh, the supposed rigging or stealing of the election via voter fraud or voter irregularities. The evidence of that is, is scanty. The idea that, that the entire election was rigged, the entire, the, again, the, the, there are a bunch of holes in this particular theory. One of the holes in that particular theory is that Republicans all over the country seem to outperform President Trump in battleground states. Right? That, that just happens to be the, the statistical case. It also happens to be that if you were going to rig the election across the country, you probably wouldn't want the Republicans to pick up somewhere from 10 to 17 seats in the House as well as hold the Senate, right? If you're going to rig this thing, then you rig it, okay? But even assuming that that process is going to play forward, it is still true, and I think much more importantly for the future of the country, it is still true that the media rigged the election. I don't mean that they formally went in and changed vote totals. I don't mean that the media went in and stole the election by pulling levers. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is that the media make it nearly impossible, nearly impossible for a Republican presidential candidate to win. And the reason that that is obviously true is because they themselves are just the apparatus of the Democratic Party. There are a wide variety of ways in which this election was preset in terms of narratives by your organs of informational dissemination. We're going to get to that in just one minute because that really is the threat to the future of us living in the same republic. And a lot of people have talked about the fact that we seem to be living in two different realities. We're living in two different realities because the media live in their bubble and they refuse to allow any information outside of that bubble to penetrate. That's a dangerous thing. It's a really, really dangerous thing because if we're living in two separate realities, it's going to be very difficult for us to occupy the same country. We're seeing those two separate realities play out right now. People on the right are saying, we should investigate every claim of voter fraud and voter irregularity. And members of the media are saying there is no voter fraud and no voter irregularity, okay, which is crazy. There is voter fraud and there is voter irregularity. Now, you can say, as I have said, that I don't see the full-scale evidence that voter fraud and voter irregularity make up the margins of victory for Joe Biden in some of these states. Right? I, I think that that is an accurate take, but the media aren't saying that. The media immediately go to, if you even distribute information surrounding voter fraud or voter irregularity, that has to be stopped because they have created an anodyne bubble and they live inside that anodyne bubble and no information is allowed to penetrate that bubble. And because it's not just that that bubble exists for them, it's because they then expand that bubble outward to encompass everybody who simply wants information. This rigs elections, okay? This rigs how people think about politics. It separates the American, public's, uh, the American public mind into two. It creates a schizophrenic American public. And that's where we are right now. We're gonna get into all the ways that the media are really the factor behind the quote-unquote rigging of the 2020 election. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that if you ever get malware on your computer, it's just, it's just horrifying. Right? PCmatic, it's a next-generation antivirus designed to stop modern threats like ransomware. Independent testing firm AVTest just named PCmatic as a top performer in the cybersecurity industry, giving it the Best Performance Award for 2019. Only PCmatic has American research, development, and support. PCmatic's competition is foreign-made, often in countries where malware originates. PCmatic, however, blocks annoying and malicious ads for hassle-free web browsing and makes your computer faster and more reliable even after years of use. And protect all sorts of devices. PCmatic will protect your Windows computers, including XP, Vista, Windows 7, 8, and 10, Windows servers, Macs, MacBooks, and Android phones and tablets. And PCmatic is just 50 bucks for five devices for one year with a full 30-day money-back guarantee. If you act now, PCmatic has offered my listeners a free month of security protection with the purchase of an annual license. If you are not protecting yourself against malware or ransomware, it's all fun and games until you actually get one of these things. It is just a pain in the butt. It can wreck your life for weeks on end if you get malware or ransomware. Protect yourself right now with PCmatic. To access this offer, head on over to PCmatic.com slash Ben. Again, to get that world-class security that keeps your computer running great, go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. That is PCmatic.com. 
com slash Ben. Okay, so let's talk about who actually rigged the 2020 presidential election. And the answer is your media, right? Your beloved establishment, journalistic betters, they rigged this thing in a variety of ways. So the first way is they just silenced conservatives. In the lead up to the election, we saw this, right? We could tell this was happening on Facebook, for example. Uh, on my personal Facebook page, for example, you could see the reach on my personal Facebook page. It was like a big... It was like a big giant Godzilla foot came down and just crushed the reach. And you could see it happening in real time. It was not as though it was an organic change in the nature of our Facebook reach in the lead up to the election. It was that somebody flipped the switch and suddenly fewer people were able to see our posts. Why? Who could have done that? And why would they have done that? And the answer is very obvious. The social media bros decided they did not want dissemination of information they didn't like. The most obvious example of this was, of course, the entire Hunter Biden story. You'll recall that the New York Post reported that Hunter Biden had a laptop and that laptop had texts and messages that made one suspicious that perhaps Joe Biden knew more than he was telling about Hunter Biden's corrupt business associations abroad and use of the Biden family name. And this was just crushed from top down by Twitter. It was crushed from top down by Facebook. Facebook announced before there was even a fact check that they were going to crush the dissemination of the information. And then the tech bros just announced, you know what, it's really not our fault. I mean, I mean, sure, we shouldn't have, have quashed that story, but we don't affect elections. Jack Dorsey testified in front of Congress. He said, we don't affect elections. That's not what we do. Does Twitter have the ability to influence elections? No. You don't believe Twitter has any ability to influence elections? No, we are one part of a spectrum of communication channels that people have. So you're testified to this committee right now that, that, that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that has no impact on elections? People, people have choice of other communication channels. Okay, woke Rasputin Jack Dorsey then admitted that the suppression of the New York Post story was purely political. He said, there's no evidence that it was disinformation, but we called it disinformation. We suggest that it was hacked materials. You guys distributed like everything regarding Trump's tax returns. I mean, it's very obvious what, what Twitter was doing in the run-up to the election here. Do any of you have any, any information whatsoever if they're not authentic or that they are Russian disinformation? Mr. Dorsey? We, we don't. You have no, so so why, would, why would you censor it? Why did you prevent that from being disseminated on your platform that is supposed to be for the free expression of ideas, and particularly true ideas? We believed it fell afoul of our hacking materials policy. Okay, so again, Twitter decided what it wanted you to see. Facebook decided what it wanted you to see. And the left was cheering this on the entire way. Understand that the social media companies and the press and the Democratic Party, they are all part of the same bubble. They are all working together. There's an iron triangle that exists between the press, which play this outside game where they pretend they are objective journalists simply holding social media to account. The woke staffers at these tech companies who decide that they are going to push from within for those tech companies to become the expositors of left-wing viewpoints and the Democratic Party, which is providing the ideological impetus for all of it. That is an iron triangle. Democratic Party, media, social media companies. It is an iron triangle. They all work with each other. That rigs elections. Okay, that has a massive impact on how people think. Senator Ed Markey even chided Twitter and Facebook for the crime of putting up too much information during the election. The big tech business model, which puts profits ahead of people, is a real problem. Anti-conservative bias is not a problem. The issue is not that the companies before us today are taking too many posts down. The issue is that they're leaving too many dangerous posts up. In fact, they're amplifying harmful content so that it spreads like wildfire and tortures our democracy. 
Okay, this is not because they are worried about disinformation. It's because they are worried about information they don't want you seeing get out. And they've made this very clear. The most obvious example came out yesterday. Kevin Roos from The New York Times, who's an activist. He's a tech activist masquerading as a journalist for The New York Times. He put out a post saying Facebook is absolutely teeming with right-wing misinformation right now. These are all among the 10 most engaged URLs on the platform over the last 24 hours. Here are the articles that he declared misinformation. One from the Daily Wire, my site, saying, Republican in Michigan goes from loser to winner after technical glitch fixed, officials urge confidence in system. Okay, that happens to be true. There is one from Breitbart. A.G. William Barr authorizes DOJ to look into voting irregularities. Also true. One from Bongino.com. Michigan legislature holds rare emergency session to investigate election irregularities. Also happens to be true. And one from Breitbart.com. Purdue, Leffler, call on Georgia Secretary of State to resign over election. Also happens to be true. So in other words, all four of those headlines were true, but Kevin Roos did not want any of them distributed on Facebook. And then he admitted why. He said, for the conservatives who are mad about this, yes, it is possible for a story to be factually accurate and for it to be part of a misinformation campaign aimed at undermining confidence in an election. In other words, your media bros, they are not interested in the truth. They are interested in the narrative. And they're going to push the social media companies into censoring stories they don't like that are true, that they admit are true in order to suppress narratives they don't like. You think that has an impact on rigging elections? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And we saw this kind of model applied all the way across the board, narrative after narrative for the last four years. That has an impact on how Americans think. It divides Americans from Americans. And it also creates the impetus for folks on the left to call everybody on the right who is privy to facts that the media will not report conspiracy theorists. And this is what you see. Oh, you read Breitbart, you read Daily Wire, you read Daily Co That's because you're a conspiracy theorist. No, it's that you have shielded yourself from information that you do not like. This is why the media went nuts when Kayleigh McEnany said that the, that the left never sees quote-unquote alternative facts. The idea was not that she was saying that people don't see bad facts. She was saying there's a whole set of facts you are not privy to because the media do not want you to see them. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that when you think of your future, you think of, of goals and, and dreams. But how are you going to accomplish those? Well, number one, you got to make your resume better. You got to get yourself educated. Why not check out Ashford University? Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's degree programs allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. At Ashford, expert faculty teaches you real-world skills from real-world experience in online classes built for life's twists and turns. You can learn from home or wherever you feel comfortable. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, and psychology. With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, and financial aid available, Ashford will give you the tools you need to go from dreaming to doing. Why not get started right now? Your bigger future starts today at Ashford University. There's no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Go make your resume better. Go learn a new skill set, especially in today's competitive job market. You want to stand out from everybody else? Go to ashford.edu slash Ben. That is ashford.edu slash Ben. Ashford.edu slash Ben. No fee to apply. Standardized testing is not required to enroll. Not all programs available in all states. Ashford.edu slash Ben to get started. Okay, so that broad model. Right, that iron triangle that I've been discussing between Democrats and the media and social media, that broad model has been applied to nearly every major narrative of the last four years, which, of course, is going to shift dramatically how people think about an election. The true rigors of the election, as I keep saying, are the members of the establishment media and their, and their friends in the social media space who have decided that the only, the only outlets that are quote-unquote credible are the outlets they like. So here is a perfect example. You have been told that Donald Trump is solely and completely responsible for 200,000 deaths in the United States from COVID. Right? Joe Biden said this openly during debate, during debate, which is a disgusting thing to say. We've seen hundreds of thousands of people die across Europe. We've seen over a million people die, die globally. Donald Trump is not president of, of France. He is not the prime minister of Italy. He's not the prime minister of the UK. 
He's not the prime minister of Germany or the chancellor of Germany. He's not any of those things. And yet, according to Joe Biden, if it were not for Donald Trump, hundreds of thousands of people would literally be alive today. This is the Democratic Party talking point. You'll see how it filters directly through the media. And then social media suppresses any message that is contrary to this. Here is here is Joe Biden. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. Okay, and Biden kept doubling down on this throughout the campaign. This was maybe his main closing pitch on the campaign trail was Donald Trump is a giant miasmatic orange blob lingering over the land and causing you to die of COVID. Here he was, again, this is just before the election. If the president had done his job, had done his job from the beginning, all the people would still be alive. All the people, I'm not making this up, just look at the data. Look at the data. Okay, where's the fact check from Anderson Cooper? He's standing right there on stage with Joe Biden. No fact check forthcoming from Anderson Cooper. In fact, this message is mirrored over and over and over by members of the media. So obviously you get Keith Olbermann, who's a wild member of the media, suggesting that Donald Trump should get the death penalty because he's responsible for 200,000 deaths. I'm tired of the thought that we're now going to repeat the months of March and April in this country, a country that should have learned something, but which in large part has been authorized to wallow and die in its own stupidity because of one man, one dumb bastard, one selfish son of a one real-life major French attacking the only hope we have, the science, and insisting science is wrong, and Fauci is an idiot, and only I can save you, and insisting you can do whatever you want, and the disease affects almost nobody. Donald Trump should be on trial for 220,000 murders, death penalty for each count. I mean, okay, so that's the insane version. The less insane version is, is Chris Cuomo on, on CNN, right, talking about how you should be afraid of COVID and it can kill you, right? He, he did this whole routine after having hosted his brother, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, and holding up a giant nasal swab and, and all of that, right? The members of the media were fully complicit in this particular argument, right? Donald Trump had completely botched the COVID response. Every death was on Donald Trump, right? And, and if you said, well, I don't see an alternative strategy, you were bad. So CN, CNN's Brianna Keeler, she said there are 220,000 reasons to talk about COVID. You know, Trump had said we're talking about COVID too much. And the reason he said that is because you have not provided any alternative strategy. And so naturally you have CNN saying, no, 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 we have to talk about it every day, all the time, because Trump just wants to ignore it. There are 220,417 reasons to talk about coronavirus. There are nearly 60,000 cases per day in the U.S. and rising. The person whose response has failed on most objective me measures is not fixing his government's approach to the crisis. Instead, he's suggesting we just ignore it. The president doesn't even regularly acknowledge the huge loss of life that we've experienced here in the last nine months. In fact, he has instead questioned whether that horrifying number is accurate. 220,000 dead. Right. Again, keep repeating the number and suggesting that it's all Trump's fault. This was the media's narrative. And then you had social media that was actively suppressing any counter information. So, for example, if you said anything that was contrary to WHO guidelines, then YouTube would actually ding you. Right? You get a Facebook fact check. If you said, okay, you know, the WHO was kind of wrong about masks in the first place, and the WHO was wrong about lockdowns in the first place, and now they've reversed themselves, then it was, how, you know, you, you're not allowed to put that up on social media. We'll ding you. We'll suppress the content. Again, the idea here is that only the party line could be repeated on any of this. And you don't have to downplay COVID or pretend that COVID is not dangerous in order to get dinged for that sort of thing.
There was a narrative. The narrative was that Trump failed and everybody else succeeded. And if you cut against that narrative, there was a good shot social media was going to find a way to ding you. And that narrative had a lot of traction. Hey, how about the narrative that Trump was a threat to democracy for four long years? Four long years. All we heard from the media is that Trump was not just an orange Hitlerian figure. Donald Trump was a stand-in for Vladimir Putin. He was a traitor. He had sold out the United States to Vladimir Putin. Trump had participated with the Russians in stealing the election. And here are a bunch of members of the media talking about Russian collusion, which, as it turns out, there was no evidence of. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshells. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. It's over. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. This is going to be the Achilles heel. Breaking news tonight, I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the Walls for closing in. Today changed everything. Okay, this that's is a creation the of a narrative of right the there. I mean, end. that's a, a billion, a billion, a billion members of the media saying that Russian collusion was at hand. We were going to find out Trump was a traitor. And then, of course, nothing ever materialized on that. Okay, again, the narrative is Trump was a threat to democracy. And it was universal. It was a tsunami, a wave. Right? He was a threat to democracy. It was promoted by your media. I mean, every Twitter trend was directed toward this end for several years. Hey, every CNN breaking news update, which was not a breaking news update for several years, every time I was in the gym, it would be Wolf Blitzer announcing a breaking news update about how Trump was, a, was in Putin's pocket. And then it turns out none of it was true. Right? The media did the same thing with white supremacy. They suggested that Donald Trump was, in a, was a white supremacist. He was not just a racist. He was, a, he was in even worse form of a racist. He was a white supremacist, right? which, of course, they never explain the difference. They, they say he was a white supremacist. He's a terrible, terrible, bad man. He's forwarding white supremacy. They lied overtly about this. They ignored the fact that Trump repeatedly condemned white supremacy. And they just kept saying this over and over and over, right? Trump, Trump, is, a, um, Trump is a white supremacist over and over and over. This was the narrative. Threat to democracy, Donald Trump. Can I just say one right. thing? So, of course he doesn't denounce white supremacy, Sonny, because he is a white supremacist. Americans have to decide whether they want a white supremacist in the White House. We've never had it before. Maybe we didn't know we had it, but we certainly know we have it now. Yeah. This translated over into the supposedly objective media coverage. John Roberts on Fox pestering Kayleigh McEnany to have her condemn white supremacy, even though Trump had already done it, and then refusing to accept yes for an answer. As the person who speaks for the president, does the president denounce white supremacism and groups that espouse it in all their forms? This has been answered yesterday by the president himself. The day before, by the president himself on the debate stage, the president was asked this. He said, sure, three times. Yesterday, he was point blank, blank asked, do you uh, denounce white supremacy? And he said, I've always denounced any form of that. I can go back and read for you um, in August 2019 in one voice our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. In August of 2017, racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups. I have an entire list of these quotes that I can go through with you. He has condemned white supremacy more than any president in modern history. Just to clear it up this morning, can you, naming it, make a declarative statement that you denounce, that the president denounces it? I just did. I mean, the, the media just refused to accept the answer because, of course, they've got a narrative to promulgate. They have a narrative to promote. Right? This tsunami effect that you get in the media, this echo chamber effect, this feeling that because the message is bouncing around at you from 17 different messages and you're not hearing counter messages because they are suppressed, okay, that is, in effect, an intellectual and philosophical rigging of the election. Okay, We're going to get to more of this in just a second because 
the, the final theme here is that Trump is a threat to democracy, right? And this was the media pushing this thing hard. And they continue to push this thing hard, which brings us back to Jim Clyburn suggesting that Trump is Hitler for not, for not acknowledging Joe Biden as president-elect. But this has been an ongoing theme with, again, that iron triangle, social media and media and the Democratic Party. The message starts at the Democratic Party. It is amplified by the media. And then the media browbeat social media into suppressing any counter messages, right? That is the iron triangle. And the Democrats browbeat social media into listening to them with threats that they're going to break up social media or regulate social media if social media don't become another partisan outlet on their behalf. That is the way this works. We'll get to more of that. In, and, then they, and then they claim that Trump is the threat to democracy. Uh -huh. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, for those of you who are wondering where I get all of this vigor and energy and virility, I know that that has crossed your mind before. Let me tell you, it's Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is unbelievably good stuff. So since I have three young children and they wake me up at all hours of the night, then I have to work all day the next day. I become addicted to Black Rifle Coffee. It is excellent, excellent stuff. Black Rifle Coffee Company CEO and founder Evan Hafer started the business after over 20 years in the U.S. Army as an infantryman, special forces soldier, and CIA contractor. Evan founded Black Rifle in 2014, along with former Army Ranger Matt Best, as the combination of two passions, developing premium fresh roasted coffee and honoring and supporting those who serve on the front lines. Black Rifle has donated over 45,000 pounds of coffee or over 1 million cups of coffee to soldiers deployed overseas, law enforcement officers, wildland firefighters on the West Coast, and medical workers during the COVID-19 response just in 2020 alone. For every coffee purchase you make throughout November, Black Rifle Coffee will send a bag of their limited edition holiday roast to a service member currently deployed overseas to be delivered by Christmas morning, being founded and operated by vets. The team at Black Rifle knows what a quality cup of coffee means to active duty troops spending the holidays away from home. So you're doing something awesome every time you buy Black Rifle coffee, not only for yourself because the coffee is delicious, but also because you are helping out the troops because Black Rifle is going to be sending a bag of their limited edition holiday roast to a service member currently deployed overseas for every coffee purchase you make throughout November. So if you want to support the cause, head on over to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Shapiro today to get 20% off coffee, apparel, and gear, as well as 20% off your first month of the coffee club. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Shapiro for 20% off coffee, apparel, and gear, and 20% off your first month of the coffee club, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. They are awesome folks, and their coffee also happens to be absolutely delicious. All righty, we're going to get to more of the media, the establishment media's rigging of the election, but if you are not already disgusted by the legacy media, you certainly should be now. The media preemptively called the election in favor of Joe Biden, and now they are saying that we should not even investigate voter fraud or voter irregularity claims, and that you're a bad, evil, bad dictator, bad person if you don't acknowledge that Joe Biden is president-elect, despite the fact that not a single state has certified its vote yet. Just because CNN and Fox News declare something does not make it true, it means very often they are pushing a narrative that benefits them. Not only that, the media has already shifted from demonizing President Trump as Orange Hitler and demonizing his supporters as brown shirts to flattering Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and putting them on magazine covers and talking about how they're the saviors of the country and your little daughter is going to emulate Kamala Harris and Joe Biden is, is going to restore our souls. The dust hasn't even settled. We're already reading stories about Joe's rescue dogs and Jill's stunning wardrobe. If you're sick of the media, like just sick of them, replace your cable and your news subscription. Head on over to dailywire.com. We have big plans for the next four years. Our goal is to replace the media. That is our goal. Candace Owens, New York Times bestselling author, founder of the Blexit Foundation, is joining Daily Wire. She'll be launching a brand new show with us early next year. I couldn't be more excited about it. We're also going to be launching an entertainment channel, a new investigative journalism team. We're going to be building partnerships with like-minded content creators like PragerU. Their entire show library will be available to dailywire.com members by the end of the year. We're going after the legacy media. We're going after them hard. And we're going to do it by building a huge membership base of supporters like you. So when you subscribe over at Daily Wire, you're not just helping us out and making sure we can bring you the information you want. You are actively fighting the establishment media that helped rig this election. Right now, 
just to show you that we're serious, we are offering 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Members get our articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, and exclusive Reader's Pass content available only to Daily Wire members. If you're considering an all-access membership, you get to join us on All Access Live every night for live stream discussions with our hosts and an amazing online community. You guess not one, but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early and sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So remember, that is 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Replace the legacy media with Daily Wire. You will not regret it. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. And we're talking here about the, the actual rigging of the election, meaning changing people's minds via suppression of information and propagandizing efforts. Okay, the, the media are responsible for this. I know everybody right now is focusing in on voter irregularities and voter fraud, and all those cases will be investigated, all of those cases. Right? We, we have officials whose literal job it is to investigate all of those cases over at the DOJ. We have Republican secretaries of state in many of the states that are currently being battled over. We have a lot of Republican officials in various counties whose job it is to oversee these elections. Those will all be investigated. Long term, I'm significantly more worried about the rigging of elections by our media, which are worth five to 10 points in every election for Democrats. Because if people actually were able to see alternative sources of information, if people actually were able to view alternative information in serious numbers, if they were not being suppressed, if the media were not lying, if the media hired one Trump supporter, it would be a radical sea change in how politics was viewed inside the United States. It's the final narrative that was pushed by the media. And what I'm calling right now this, this media iron triangle, this informational iron triangle, the media, Democratic Party, social media, Right, that is the triangle, right? The, the, the final narrative that was pushed really, really hard is, of course, the biggest one, which is that Trump is himself a threat to democracy, right? That not, not only is he a threat to democracy because of Russian collusion and, and he personally is a Russian tool and not only is he a white supremacist, but also that he is literally going to threaten your vote. So all the same people today, this is the part that's so ironic and so hilarious and sad. The entire media infrastructure that right now is declaring that the vote is clean and legal and good five minutes ago was claiming that the vote was going to be overtly thwarted by Donald Trump. There's going to be widespread voter suppression in places like Georgia. There was going to be an inability to vote all across the country. Donald Trump was going to go personally set fire to your mailbox so you couldn't send in a mail-in ballot. He was going to dismantle voting machines. Donald Trump was going to make sure you couldn't vote. Democracy itself would be thwarted. And this is how you get Chris Hayes saying that Donald Trump is now plotting a coup, right? This is, this is, he, he said this, right? Donald Trump's plan to steal the election. Remember, these are the same people who right now are saying that because Donald Trump is not conceding the election, but he's also not sticking around if, they're actual, if the actual election results are certified, these are the same people saying that's bad, that's a coup. They were saying five seconds ago that Trump was planning to steal the election. They were saying this months in advance, and he was going to do so because he was a threat to democracy. Here's Chris Hayes, who's become just a hysterical screed writer on Twitter. If you're talking to a person and you ask them to commit to behave peacefully and they refuse, they're threatening violence, right? What the president is doing here is the most explicit that he has been about his plans for this election. He's plotting in open and public repeatedly a coup to steal the election and hold on to power. Again, it all sounds crazy to say it is what we are seeing. Those are the plain facts as assembled before us. It's not a behind the scenes type of thing. It's happening in public, in plain view. Okay, this is all Democrats were talking about in the lead up to the election. Trump was going to thwart the election. He was going to not allow a free and fair election to even take place. Barack Obama at the DNC said the administration is going to tear down democracy. This demagogue said this while standing in front of a wall plastered with the words of the Constitution of the United States. Here's Barack Obama. You're the missing ingredient. 
the ones who will decide whether or not America becomes the country that fully lives up to its creed. That work will continue long after this election. But any chance of success depends entirely on the outcome of this election. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down if that's what it takes for them to win. So we have to get busy building it up. It's a coup, it's a coup, it's a coup, it's a coup, right? They were saying this for months in advance. They were going to pervert the election. This is how they were getting their early votes out, right? They were saying, you need to vote early and you need to vote right now because if you don't, Donald Trump is going to come to your house with a bat and he's going to smack you in the grill and then he's going to steal your vote, fill it out, Donald Trump, and send it in, right? This was the narrative. It was pushed by the media. It was pushed by Democratic parties. And then, and then it was pushed by, by social media. Now, the same social media who are saying you can't talk about voter fraud or voter irregularity today, they're suppressing those stories because it undermines confidence in the election. Five seconds ago, we're perfectly happy disseminating all sorts of bullcrap about how the post office of the United States was going to thwart the election and how the Republicans were going to defund the post office in order to prevent your mail-in vote from being counted. As it turns out, literally tens of millions, ten, like an unprecedented, num uh, unprecedented number of people voted mail-in and all their votes were counted. It doesn't matter. Right? Way back when, it was the post office, the post office, right? It was all the undermining of democracy. This is how elections get rigged. Okay, again, not in the hard sense that the members of the media are out there changing votes, but in the soft sense that they are, are rigging the informational sources that you are capable of seeing, right? This was the democratic narrative. And don't, don't let them rewrite the history, right? Barack Obama suggested that Donald Trump was trying to discourage voting, right? There's, there's some, like, this is, this is conspiratorial thinking. We're, we're told now that it's a conspiracy theory to talk about voter fraud or voter irregularity, even if you say like I do, that I don't think that the voter fraud and voter irregularity numbers are gonna come in where Trump needs them to be in order to overturn the results of the, the apparent results of the election, right? Even that is considered conspiratorial thinking. But Barack Obama and the, the entire Democratic Party, the entire media infrastructure suggested that the election was going to be perverted and thwarted by the will of one orange Hitler, Donald Trump. Here was Barack Obama way back when. What we've seen in a way that is unique to modern political history is a president who's explicit in trying to discourage people from voting. What we've never seen before is a president say, I'm going to try to actively kneecap the Postal Service <laughs> to encourage voting, and I will be explicit about the reason I'm doing it. Yeah. That's sort of unheard of. Okay, well, um, no, actually, the democracy was not thwarted. It was never in danger of being thwarted, but again, that didn't stop anybody. Here's Rachel Maddow crying about the Postal Service, right? That They're taking away the post office boxes. We saw actual photos being disseminated by left-wing media figures of post office boxes being removed. Yes, because nobody uses the mail anymore, idiots. We've dismantled hundreds of thousands of post office boxes since the beginning of the of the 21st century. But again, this was this was the big story in the media. Don't for, don't let them rewrite the history where we now pretend they were objective all the way through this. They were not even close to objective, nor did they pretend to be. Now, Rachel Maddow is not an objective news figure, but again, Rachel Maddow is a stand-in here for so many members of the news who decided they were going to treat their own objectivity as a, a dispensable item. It's how we get our letters. It's how we get our ballots now because of the COVID crisis. It's the freaking fracking mail. We need it. But this is a fight against a thing that Americans actually and quite broadly love and respect and don't want to go away. This is the kind of fight that most Americans have a side they want to be on. And it is not the side that is stealing the mailboxes and telling us that, mm, yeah, it doesn't think you don't think it's going to work out for you to get your ballot in on time. You know, getting weepy over the mailboxes. And this, again, some of these stories, I'm sure your grandmother saw. And some of these stories, I'm sure your grandmother did not see. I am sure that millions of people never saw the Hunter Biden stories, but learned that Donald Trump was going to steal your mailbox. I am sure 
that there are millions of people across the country, in fact, everybody across the country, who heard that Donald Trump was a white supremacist and a Russian stand-in, but never heard a single word about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, like at all. They didn't even exist in this campaign. Joe Biden spent the entire campaign hiding in a basement and the media asked him questions like, what flavor of ice cream are you ordering? So when we talk about the rigging of an election, there are two ways you can rig an election. One is like the old-fashioned Castro-Stalin way of rigging an election where you hold an election, you win 99% of the vote because you are the one counting the votes. Right? Then there is the media's way of rigging an election, which is to add five to 10 points to every Democratic vote total by simply suppressing information they don't want you to see and promoting narratives that they do want you to see. The establishment media blew out their credibility in this election cycle. They blew it out. Since 2016, I don't think they should have had a lot of credibility in the first place, but presumably hundreds of millions of Americans think they do. For worse, not for better. They blew out that credibility. Everybody should take note of that moving forward. Now, among the things that the media refused to cover is, of course, what Joe Biden plans to do once all of this is over, if Joe Biden is, in fact, legally made the president-elect of the United States, not just projected, legally made the president-elect of the United States. What's going to happen next? Now, we were shielded from the actual knowledge of those things, right? We were shielded from knowledge of those things because the media didn't want you to talk about any of that. And in fact, if you talked about what Joe Biden supported, they would fact check you in ways that were completely false. They would just issue these false fact checks. I mean, this is another way in which the media perverted the narrative here. They have these fact checking organizations. They outsource all of their, all of their dirty work to the fact checking organizations. The fact checking organizations then perform fact checks on implications and then Social media quashed stories based on it. So perfect example. Right? During the election cycle, there was an ad that was taken out against Gary Peters, who's a Michigan senatorial candidate who defeated John James in the, uh, in the vote count in Michigan. Okay, Gary Peters supports the so-called Equality Act, which is a congressional act that essentially makes it possible for biological boys to race against biological girls. There was an ad that was taken out by a super PAC against Gary Peters, pointing out that this is wildly out of step with what most Americans and Michiganders feel about who should be able to race in athletics and what it would do to women's athletics if men were allowed to compete inside women's athletics. Facebook took down the ad. Why? Because it was fact-checked. The fact-check didn't say the ad was false. The fact-check said that it was a little bit overbroad or that it drew implications that may not be true, but it was really more opinion than it was fact, so there was really no way to fact-check it. That didn't matter. That was enough. Facebook simply suppressed the ad. We saw Facebook suppress an ad from the Trump campaign saying that Joe Biden was going to raise your taxes. Joe Biden is going to raise your taxes. Joe Biden says he's not going to raise taxes on anybody making above $400,000, but he's raising the corporate tax rate, which gets passed down to you. He's raising the payroll tax. That gets passed down to you. Right? In fact, most kind of bipartisan and nonpartisan economic studies suggest that Joe Biden is planning to raise taxes on a vast variety of people because if you get rid of the Trump tax cuts, as it turns out, you are raising taxes on a huge majority of the American public. Okay, that, that ad was fact-checked as false, and then Facebook removed it. Okay, so the fact-checkers play this game. And then the social media companies simply suppress information on the basis of false fact checks. It's horrifying. The fact checking sites are themselves members of the Praetorian Guard, of the Democratic Party Praetorian Guard. And they guarded you from having to ask questions about what exactly Joe Biden was going to do. Every time Donald Trump said Joe Biden supports the Green New Deal and then pointed out that AOC's version of the Green New Deal is a radical document filled with wild garbage, the media were like, well, he doesn't really support that. Every time Donald Trump or Mike Pence said, that Joe Biden stands with defund the police. The media would say, well, he's overtly said he's not for defund the police. And then the Trump campaign would bring out the clip of him saying that he's interested in shifting funding from the police to elsewhere. This is technically a defunding of the police. If I say to you, I'm going to shift your salary dollars from you to Bob, am I defunding you? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, but apparently that was fact check false. And so those messages got suppressed.
So we never found out exactly what it was that Joe Biden was going to do. It was all about Trump. It was all about Trump. That is how you rig an election. You make the person on the other side of the election a complete non-entity. Even today, Joe Biden is a complete non-entity. All right, so with that said, now we are finding out what Joe Biden and the Democratic Party plan to do if indeed they are initiated into power. So Joe Biden has now announced his first plans. His first plans are he's going to open the borders. According to CBS News, after Biden is sworn in in January, his administration will move to fully restore an Obama-era program that shields 640,000 undocumented immigrants who are brought to the U.S. as children from deportation, halting Mr. Trump's unsuccessful efforts to end it. People familiar with the plans told CBS News. The incoming administration also intends to rescind Trump's travel and immigration restrictions on 13 mostly African or predominantly Muslim countries. Okay, so already you can see the media bias here. Number one, the original DACA program put in place by Barack Obama was unconstitutional. He had no power to do it. He admitted dozens of times. He could not, through executive action, simply refuse to enforce immigration law. He did it anyway. Then they found some Democrat judges to suggest that Donald Trump could not undo an executive action done by Barack Obama. Now it's going to be Joe Biden coming in and redoing the illegal thing that Barack Obama did. Also, the the way that the media characterized Trump's travel ban as a Muslim ban, there are countries on the list that are not Muslim. So instead, they just they just broaden the description, right? His travel and immigration restrictions on 13, mostly African or predominantly Muslim countries, right? The implication being that Trump is a xenophobe. This has nothing to do with our inability to vet people coming into the country from countries that actually have no functional government. So we have no idea who's coming into the country. This means that Joe Biden is good, right? He's not xenophobic. This is the narrative. Also, Joe Biden will look to implement a 100-day freeze on deportations, a complete freeze on deportations. Now, that's ridiculous. We know that there are thousands of criminals in the United States, like in our jails, who we should deport. We know this. This is a fact. There are criminals in the United States who should be deported. He's going to issue an entire freeze, a moratorium on deportations. Now, how do you think that would look if that had been the headline for six months instead of bullcrap claims about the postmaster general? How would it look if it were Joe Biden on entering office is going to stop all deportations including of criminals. Obama-era memos that prioritize the deportation of immigrants with criminal convictions, recent border crossers, and those who entered the country illegally more than once were scrapped in 2017 by Trump, so no unauthorized immigrant would be exempted from being arrested and removed from the country. A source familiar with Biden's plan said new guidance would be designed to curb so-called collateral arrests, which are apprehensions of immigrants who are not the target of U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, but are nevertheless taken into custody because they are in the country without legal status. So he's going to decriminalize basically being in the country illegally. You're not going to be deported unless you've committed an overt second crime. So he's basically just going to undo all of Trump's executive actions on illegal immigration. Also, Biden has pledged to discontinue the Trump administration's policy of requiring non-Mexican migrants to wait in Mexico for the duration of their U.S. asylum cases. Now, that is a simple and reasonable request, right? Is that if you are attempting to immigrate into the United States, you don't have to set foot on American soil in order for you to apply for asylum. Because what happens there is you apply for asylum, while the application goes forward, you just disappear into the interior of the United States. So Trump made a deal with Central American and Latin American countries that immigrants could wait in Mexico in order so that they could have their asylum process before entering the United States and then just kind of get, getting lost in the shuffle. Biden's going to undo that. A source familiar with Biden's team planning said the incoming administration will withdraw from the three bilateral agreements Trump brokered with Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras that allowed the U.S. to send rejected asylum seekers to those countries and have them seek refuge there. So if you enjoyed those caravans that we were getting 
in the Obama era and the early Trump era, get ready, those are coming back. We're going to get hundreds of thousands of people marching to the U.S. border and declaring that they are eligible for asylum, even though they have no actual asylum claims, and then housed and kept in the United States until those asylum claims are adjudicated, by which point many of those people will have disappeared into the interior of the United States. So if you enjoyed that, then uh, get ready. We're going to get more of that. We didn't hear any discussion of that during the campaign. It was all about Orange Hitler because, again, for the 1,000th time, the media rigged this thing. Okay. They are also going to apparently get rid of, uh, they're going to scrap Trump's pandemic era limits on immigration and work visas. Biden's campaign promised the former VP will direct the CDC to review the expulsions policy to ensure that people have the ability to submit their asylum claims while ensuring we are taking appropriate COVID-19 safety precautions. Also, he's going to dramatically increase refugee admissions, moving away from the record low 15,000 spots set by Trump and raising the cap to 125,000. Okay, now, again, I have no problem with bringing in refugees to the country who fulfill all of the requirements we want for people living in the United States and becoming American citizens. We're a welcoming, open country. And I think it's great that we welcome refugees, particularly from countries with repressive regimes and people are coming in seeking freedom. But you do have to vet people who are coming into the country. That's kind of an important thing. Biden's not going to do any of that. Okay, so he's undoing basically all of the immigration policies, including ones that, that should have wide bipartisan approval, like wait in another country to see if your asylum claim is adjudicated properly in the United States. So that, that is Biden's first step. Meanwhile, inside the Democratic Party, the battle over the future of the Democratic Party continues to rage. And I think we all know who's going to win this battle. It's not going to be the mainstream liberal Democrats. It's not going to be Connor Lamb or Abigail Spanberger. The woke are going to win. And the woke are going to win because there is a systemic flaw inside liberal thinking. So a lot of liberals, they don't actually agree with tearing down the system. They don't agree with tearing down the system, but they've been making the argument for decades that the system is itself perverse, that the system itself is rooted in hierarchies of power, which is why we need to use the system in order to engage in redistributionism, and we need to curb the rights of some in order to guarantee privileges for others. And along come this group of wokesters, and they say, okay, you guys keep nibbling around the edges, but that's just because you want to stay in power. Right? What you need to do is turn over power to us, and we need to tear down the system as a whole. There is no immune system to this inside the Democratic Party, which is why Stacey Abrams, now the, you know, obviously the governor of Georgia, but besides being governor of Georgia, now being hailed as the great heroine of Georgia because she was involved in a voter registration drive in Georgia, she is, is continuing to say that Democrats need to stop moving away from identity politics. Doesn't matter that Republicans won a bevy of House seats, came close to taking back a House majority in a time when no one really thought they would are going to maintain the Senate majority in all likelihood. Stacey Abrams says identity politics is how the Democratic Party moves forward. Here she was speaking at an event in Washington, D.C. at the Center for American Progress Ideas Conference. For those of us who are in this coalition of new and engaged, who are in this pursuit of progress, we have to recognize that the internal threat we face is a fear of who we are. The notion of identity politics has been peddled for the last 10 years, and it's been used as a dog whistle to say that we shouldn't pay too much attention to the new voices coming into progress. I would argue that identity politics is exactly who we are, and it's exactly how we won. Identity politics is who they are and how they won. The coalition of the oppressed rising up to strike down all of the systems and institutions. Uh, the quick note that I was going to make there is if you actually watch that video, she's speaking in a closed room. Wow, with lots of people in it. See, if, if the Republicans hold a rally in a closed room with lots of people in it, it's a, it's a COVID hotbed. If Stacey Abrams speaks to the Center for American Progress at a dinner where everybody's sitting around tables and many are not wearing masks, it's no problem because, of course, the virus is woke. Okay, but this is the future of the Democratic Party. Black Lives Matter sent a letter to the leaders of the Democratic Party saying, we want something for our vote, right? We know where this is all going. 
According to The Federalist, BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors sent a letter to former Vice President Joe Biden and his vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris congratulating them on winning the presidential election, demanding a meeting to discuss BLM's expectations for their administration. A well-thought-out, community-driven, fully-resourced agenda that addresses the particular challenges faced by Black people must be the priority. That is what she wrote. According to Cullors, a Democratic victory would not have happened without the resounding support of Black people. In short, Black people won this election, she said, noting the group's efforts to vote and organize. Alongside Black-led organizations around the nation, Black Lives Matter invested heavily in this election. Black people cannot afford to live through the vitriol of a Trump-like presidency, nor through the indifference of a Democrat-controlled government that refuses to wrestle with its most egregious and damnable shame. Cullors claims that Biden and Harris, who both ran on a platform mentioning systemic racism, owed it to the movement to act on their rhetoric and further the work of black liberation. She said, we want something for our vote. We want to be heard. We want our agenda prioritized. We issue these expectations not just because black people are the most consistent and reliable voters for Democrats, but also because black people are truly living in a crisis in a nation that was built on our subjugation. Right? You think the Democratic Party is going to turn this down? Do you? Joe Biden said, in his quasi-acceptance address, he said, black Americans stood behind them, and so I'm going to stand behind you. Which again, if you said that about any other racial group in America, you would recognize how racist and divisive and terrible that is. But apparently it's totally okay for Joe Biden to say it, and he's going to be the guy who stands in for America's institutions? I think not. Meanwhile, the Justice Democrats are preemptively declaring all of their opponents racists. They sent a letter to the entire Democratic caucus saying, quote, conservative Democrats may change the terms and people we blame and fear year by year, but Democrats must take on the Republican Party's divide and conquer racism head on and not demobilize our own base. They say that we, we cannot abandon the identity politics. The lesson to be learned from this election, says Justice Democrats, and this is like AOC, and sorry, the Honorable Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, D. Fresh Face. They say, the lesson to be learned from this election cannot and should not be to lean into racist resentment politics or back away from the social movements that push Democrats to power. If Democrats cower from the national conversation sparked by the Black Lives Matter movement, then the only ones left owning this space will be the GOP. The Democratic Party has long taken the party, the base of its party, Black voters, for granted. We need a Democratic Party dedicated to economic and racial justice. We cannot allow billionaires on Fox News to divide and conquer America. We must invest in all our workers to create good-paying jobs, safety, and shared prosperity for all, not just for those on the top. Right? Do you think Joe Biden's going to stand up to that? I have questions. I, ha- I think not. I think not. And here's the problem. This agenda really has no end except for political dominance. Right? The agenda does not have an endpoint except for tearing away all of the institutions that apparently are vestiges of power politics. See, for for a lot of the Marxist theoreticians in the Democratic Party and inside organizations like BLM, the basic idea is that society is structured by hierarchies of power. And the institutions that you treasure, the institutions Joe Biden claims to stand for, that he claims he wants to unify around, those institutions were created in order to perpetuate those hierarchies of power. And it is not sufficient to perpetuate those hierarchies of power or to use those hierarchies of power for redistribution. Instead, they need to be torn out at the root. Do you think Joe Biden has the ability to deny these folks that? There is no logical endpoint. Okay, that is the agenda. That is the agenda moving forward. Republicans are going to need to fight back against this agenda because you can see it playing out in Georgia. So right now, the next step, putting aside the presidential election, which will come out how it comes out, the next step is going to be January 5th. Right? In early January, there's going to be two special elections in Georgia. Those two special elections pit Republicans against Democrats, Kelly Loeffler in one race versus Raphael Warnock, who's a radical, and David Perdue, sitting senator in Georgia, against John Ossoff, 
who has been run 1,000 times. He's sort of like Beto O'Rourke, except Georgia, right? All he does is run for office and lose in Georgia, right? He lost his race this time around to David Perdue. It's just that Georgia has a weird system where if you don't win a majority of the vote outright, then you have to redo the race. So David Perdue won like 49.8% of the, of the vote and uh, John Ossoff won 47% of the vote. Doesn't matter. They have to do a runoff again in January. And Democrats are pulling out all the stops. They're making very clear what they want here. They want to fundamentally transform the country. You think these are people who are satisfied with the sort of unity, nibbling around the edges approach of Joe Biden? I think not. John Ossoff said, right, this Democratic senatorial candidate who uh, is, is just a socialist in disguise, he said, change is coming to America. Right, I, I think that's kind of what we're afraid of. He said, the people of our state have made an extraordinary statement in these last few weeks. And let's be honest, there were some who doubted us. When I got in this race about 14 months ago, I was telling everyone that Georgia is the most competitive state in the country. I know that y'all believe me, but there were some who did not. But what we have proven in these last few weeks is that change has come to Georgia, change is coming to America, and retirement is coming for Senator David Perdue. What kind of change? Well, why don't we examine the other race? Raphael Warnock, who is protected by the media and will continue to be protected by the media, is a deeply, deeply radical candidate. How radical is Raphael Warnock? He praised Reverend Jeremiah Wright's speeches. Warnock has for years been one of the most vocal defenders of Wright's infamous 2003 GD America sermon, which compared U.S. leaders to al-Qaeda and claimed HIV was invented by the government as a way to kill black people. This is according to the Washington Free Beacon. According to Politico, the Democratic candidate is expected to face negative ads that target his ties to Jeremiah Wright. Warnock has a long history of anti-Israel extremism, Leffler wrote on Twitter. That is absolutely true. He gave a speech last, this, like this year, talking about how Israel was an oppressive regime murdering Palestinian innocents. Not only that, Wright came to national attention in 2008, obviously as the spiritual advisor to Barack Obama, and then John McCain, because he was a pansy in that election, refused to mention Jeremiah Wright anywhere throughout the election, even though he was an ideological mentor to Barack Obama. Warnock is an open defender of Jeremiah Wright. In 2014, he praised that GD America sermon in a speech at the Auburn Avenue Research Library. He said, quote, you ought to go back and see if you can find and read as I have the entire sermon. It was a very fine sermon. Jeremiah Wright was right when he said the attack on him, in a real sense, was an attack on the black church. The message of Jeremiah Wright was that public policy has consequences. In 2013, Warnock called Wright's sermon a very fine homily in his 2013 book, The Divided Mind of the Black Church. He actually compared Jeremiah Wright to the biblical prophet Jeremiah. This would be the same Jeremiah Wright who engaged the U.S. and Israel of engaging in state terrorism and said that September 11th was America's chickens coming home to roost. Okay, that is, that is Raphael Warnock, who's running for Senate, in Georgia, right now. Hey, Raphael Warnock also, it turns out, was implicated, he was actually arrested in 2002, apparently after allegedly obstructing a police investigation into suspected child abuse. Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, tweeted out about this yesterday. He said, in 2002, when the police investigated suspected child abuse at Raphael Warnock's church camp for children, Warnock was arrested for obstructing the investigation. Will the media ask Raphael Warnock why he interfered with the police investigation? According to original reporting at the time, Warnock and Mark Andre Wainwright, the assistant minister for youth, were accused of trying to bar a state trooper from interviewing counselors at the camp. Neither Warnock nor Wainwright was a suspect in the child abuse investigation, but they interrupted a police interview of a counselor. The ministers interrupted a police interview of a counselor Wednesday in a room at the camp, and after investigators moved the interview to a nearby picnic area, interfered again, and subsequently tried to prevent a camper from directing police to another potential witness, according to charging documents. This is according to the Baltimore Sun in 2002. Trooper Diane Barry of the State Police Child and Sexual Assault Unit said, quote, I've never encountered resistance like that at all. She pointed out the counselors were informed they could leave at any time. They still consented to be interviewed. So this is, this is Raphael Warnock. 
Excellent, excellent stuff. This, this is who the Democrats have decided to put up as their nominee. Okay, this is what Republicans are going to have to fight back against. Joe Biden's administration is not going to turn these people away. Joe Biden's administration is going to welcome these people. Joe Biden is acting like he's a bulwark for moderation. Yeah, fat chance, fast chance. And Republicans know this, by the way. Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, he pointed out yesterday, the best way to, uh, for Republicans to win is just to let these people talk, and he is correct. You, the cycle, raised more money than any House Republican ever, more yes. than any of your speaker predecessors. What did you learn, and how did you pull this off? Well, the best way to raise money is just let Nancy Pelosi and AOC talk. So you bring up a relatively junior member, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. Why do your people respond so vociferously to her? Well, she runs the floor. Wait, what do you mean by that? That wing of the party, the socialist wing of the party, they are the new power of the Democratic Party. And Senator Marco Rubio made the same point yesterday. He said, listen, not all the Democrats are socialists, but all the socialists are Democrats. Okay, now, that's not totally true. There are a lot of socialists who are not Democrats. There are a lot of socialists in Antifa. There are a lot of socialists who don't vote. But it is certainly true that the bulk of socialists in the United States will identify more closely with the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. That's for damn sure. Here was Senator Rubio yesterday. There are people in America who work in places where they are afraid to put a bumper sticker on their car or wear a hat because they could get fired. And if you think I'm exaggerating, they're making lists. There are people right now making lists of people they want to go after. Members of Congress making lists about people. We're going to go after these people and destroy their lives. This is lunacy. All that reminds me of is this. It is true. To be fair, not all Democrats are socialists. But all the socialists are Democrats. Okay, this happens to be true. It also happens to be the, the strongest argument that Republicans are going to have going forward. Okay, Joe Biden is a danger, but you never heard that from the media, right? Joe Biden was just a nice old man who is basically going to restore normalcy. Nope, no, he absolutely is not. By the way, normalcy has been completely lost. Let's just point this out here. I will, I will point to uh, one indicator that I think is, is pretty indicative. So there is a, a new policy in Norway, apparently. Okay, in which Norway has now made biphobic and transphobic speech illegal. According to Out Magazine, bi, trans, and non-binary folks in Norway are celebrating a huge win after the country recently expanded its penal code that previously only protected lesbian and gay people from hate speech to include gender identity and all forms of sexual orientation. The penal code states, those who are guilty of hate speech face a fine or up to a year in jail for private comments and a maximum of three years in jail for public comments. Okay, so that's a radical policy. That is if you are at home and you say... Something, you quote Leviticus, in your house, the, the government of Norway can come and take you out of your house and put you in jail for a year. So Out Magazine, right, the, the gay advocacy magazine in the United States, they tweeted out, buy us a one-way ticket. They're into it, man. They want to live in a country where people can be prosecuted for saying a thing in their own home. And that's how radical the left in the United States is becoming. It's amazing how fast we went in the United States from, you know, what we do in our bedroom is none of your business to what you say about us in your bedroom should get you thrown in jail. Pretty incredible transition, right? It went from you should tolerate more people doing what they want in the privacy of their own home to if you say something I don't like in the privacy of your own home, I hope they take you and throw you in jail right now. You wonder why folks in the United States may be a little wary of the radical left because the radical left has no actual allegiance to institutions and fundamental principles like freedom of speech and open discussion. They oppose them. And Joe Biden is not going to be a bulwark against that. That is why Republicans across the country did much better than expected in the 2020 elections. And if it were not for the mainstream media 
spending 24 hours a day lying about Trump, presumably Trump would have won the election. Okay, so that, that, is the, that is the ongoing story here. And that's going to be the battle to be, left to be fought. You know, that, that battle is going to have to be waged on a media level because the media will simply hide these messages from you. The media will not promulgate these messages. They will not give you the truth about this stuff. They will suppress anybody who talks about this sort of stuff. That is their, that is their job because they are in open competition with other forms of informational dissemination. They'll try to hijack all of the platforms of informational dissemination in order to prevent you from seeing information they don't like. And that's what we are all fighting back against today. All right, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Hey, Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.